0: about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons, as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website, which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Luke chapter 2 and verse 11 contains 19 words, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. These nineteen words are nineteen words of great hope. Since today is Christmas Day, a day when most people in the Christian world celebrate the birth of Christ, we want to share with you this message entitled Nineteen Words of Hope. These nineteen words, spoken by the angel to the shepherds on the hillside, pointed them to a babe in a manger who would ultimately die. On a rugged cross we hope you'll stay tuned for the message but first we have a song selection and we wish all of you a very Merry Christmas may the joys of Christ be with you in this holiday season Thank <laughs> This morning, I want to call out your attention to a verse in the book of Luke, the second chapter, in verse 11. Verse 11 is right in the middle of what the angel said to the shepherds on the night of Christ's birth. And This is what they said. This is what the angel said. For unto you is born this day in the city of David... A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Nineteen words there in that verse. Nineteen words of great hope. I want to preach to you this morning, the Lord being my helper, on these nineteen words of hope. You know the circumstances there. We'll go back and pick up in verse one and just read a little bit here. A very familiar story. Most people that even don't attend church know a little bit about this story because they hear it and they see it, but I want us to really think about it as we read it together. Chapter 2 and verse 1 And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city, and Joseph also went up from Galilee And this shall be a sign unto you. ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So now we see the context of these 19 words. These 19 words of hope, were spoken on a hillside on one quiet night out there in Bethlehem. They were not spoken to the most glorious people. They were spoken rather to lowly shepherds, not to powerful sovereigns. They were not spoken to the emperor in Rome. They were not spoken to King Herod there in Israel. They were not spoken to the high priest back in Jerusalem, but they were rather spoken to these lowly shepherds on a hillside they didn't come to the highest in society they didn't come to the high classes of society you know by the time of christ's first advent the high society and the rabbinic jews they had come to despise shepherding they'd come to look down upon that you know uh god never uh, god uh, told us uh in in his word that his son was the lamb of God his son is the lamb of God I think shepherding is a pretty good gig to God (laughs) I don't think God looks down upon it but they had looked down upon that almost like the Egyptians did in Joseph's day but notice where the message came from these words were not spoken to the glorious and the high class it said there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night now, I have been a farmer, still call, consider myself a farmer. Many of you are farmers. Most of you have some connection to farming. I don't like to farm at night. I don't know about y'all. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's an unusual thing for me. to. You know, when I, was a, when I was younger, and, of course, we had chicken houses, as most of you know, and they don't come during the middle of the day to catch chickens. They come at night. Well, guess who got to get up at night and go get the chicken houses ready, you know? It was the low man on the totem pole. It was me for many years. Then when I got in charge, I made my kids do it, you know? I, I let it roll downhill, right? <laughs> you see, the people, the, 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 the task of sitting up and watching for those, over those flocks was a menial task. It was often left to the lowest in the family. Think about David. Think about David. You know, when, when Samuel came, to, to, to ordain a king when he came to anoint a new king uh, Jesse, David's father was not even, uh, he didn't put enough uh, uh, emphasis on David, he didn't care enough about David he said he's the little one, I'm going to leave him out there doing the menial tasks <laughs> he's the one that's going to stay out there turns out God put a premium on a little shepherd boy didn't he God had called a shepherd boy where everybody saw this lowly shepherd God saw a king God had ordained him, had chosen him to be king. So I'm sure that these shepherds weren't really, really happy about being out there at night, working the night shift, so to speak. You reckon, reckon maybe they, they, they complained about it? <laughs> I mean, I know I used to when I had to take the night shift, but reckon they were upset about it? Maybe they drew straws so and they got the short straw, you know? Reckon they had other things that they wanted to be doing? And yet God chose them to be the first recipients of the most glorious announcement in the history of the world. I want to say something about that. I believe that teaches us something. I believe that shows us that there is no circumstance in which we may find ourselves where God cannot and will not bless us. You know, we just got through preaching a series out of Colossians, the third chapter, and we talked about work, employers and employees. And, you know, there is no task so menial that it ought not be done right. There's no task so lowly that it ought not take your complete effort. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Because there's no place you can find yourself in life where the message, this astounding and amazing, glorious message, these 19 words of hope cannot reach you if you're a child of God. You know, there are many that don't care about the message. There are many that never are interested in the message. But if you see yourself as that broken down, lowly shepherd, there's hope for you. See, this message wasn't to the high and the mighty, but to the lowly and the faithful. They were doing their jobs out there. God chose them to be the first hearers of that glorious gospel message. See, they weren't spoken. These 19 words weren't spoken to the most glorious people. And they weren't spoken in the most glorious place. See, this wasn't a thriving capital. This wasn't Jerusalem. This wasn't Babylon. This wasn't Rome. This was Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Ephratah, we're told. The word literally means an ash heap. (laughs) That's what Ephratah, Micah tells us that that's where the Savior would be born, in Bethlehem, Ephratah, which means an ash heap. Now, the idea there is fruitfulness, but still, it's a strange name, is it not, for a place where the king of all glory was going to be born. It wasn't in the most powerful and bustling city. It was in Bethlehem, Ephratah. And it was not in the most illustrious setting, was it? It was in a stable, in a manger, not in a place where the trappings of royalty applied. It was not to the most powerful parents, was it? See, Christ wasn't born into the halls of the king. He was born to a little insignificant virgin girl named Mary. And his stepfather, his earthly stepfather, would be not a powerful war leader or a high political person, but just a carpenter, a man that worked with his hands. Later on, you know, they would say, is this not Jesus, the carpenter's son? Of course, they thought Joseph was his real father. And there's a whole message there, I believe. <laughs> Jesus, you know, Joseph, we sometimes ignore the characters of the nativity. We think and and, and we should should certainly be focusing upon Jesus. But but Mary and Joseph. Sometimes we really ignore Joseph. Joseph was a faithful man, we're told. He wasn't willing to make a public example of Mary. He was going to put her away privately. You know why? He had every right to blazon it across the newspapers of the day that she had been unfaithful, that she was no longer pure in his mind at least. But even before the angel came, you read about it in Matthew chapter 1, even before the angel came to tell him what was really going on, he was already a faithful and a merciful and a compassionate man. He was going to just put her away privately and not make a big deal out of it and go on his way. Joseph was a carpenter. Joseph was not a great man in society. He was not a high political figure. This message... And the birth of Christ didn't come to the most powerful parents. No prince, no princess, not even powerful enough, if you notice, to get out to get some kind of exemption from the taxation. (laughs) That's what the census was all about. He was living up in Nazareth and, and he had, you know, surely you would think that Joseph would have enough pull to go to somebody there and say, listen, man, my wife is eight or nine months pregnant and she's almost ready to deliver. And can't I just wait and go some other time or can't you just take my word for it? And no, they, he wasn't even powerful enough to, to pull any strings to keep from having to make that long journey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. And by the way, you notice that it wasn't the most glorious circumstances, was it? They went there due to taxes. (laughs) You know, we complain about taxes, don't we? I do. I don't know about you. The next time I complain about taxes, I'm going to try to remember that God used taxes to get Mary and Joseph to the right place and the right time. The great superintendent of all creation used something like that to get them there. Notice that the words did, they came to a quiet hillside, not a bustling palace. It didn't come to the king's throne room, but to the shepherd's campfire. Probably it didn't happen in December. We we don't really know when. And if God had intended, if, if it had been important, God would have told us. What we know is he was born. So whenever we think about it or celebrate it, it doesn't really matter. But he was born. They usually abode with their sheep between about March and November, so it probably wasn't December. But in any event, it was a quiet, uneventful night. But look what happened. As they sat there, probably around their campfire, maybe dozing, maybe falling off to sleep, probably bored. I don't know what they were doing. All of a sudden, they were surrounded by the glory of God it said in verse 9, Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And I don't know exactly what happened here, but I probably told you this before. I, I get in my mind this vision of some of the old cartoons, you know, when, uh, when the roadrunner is, is running, and, you know, when he, when he goes flying by, There's all this stuff coming behind him, the dust and trash and things coming behind him, okay? That's a poor comparison. I get it, okay? But my idea that I keep getting in my mind is that when this this angel, who is a messenger of God, is, is standing there before the Lord in the throne room of heaven, and God says, okay, it's time, go tell him. And, you know, it doesn't take, you know, they don't travel at the speed of light and take so many light years, hundreds of light years to get here. When God says do something, it's instantaneous. And it's almost like when that... That angel left the throne room and instantaneously was on that hillside. It just sort of drug with that angel some of the glory of the throne room of God. That's just sort of the idea I have. I know that's a silly idea, but but think about it in terms of this angel was there before God, and suddenly now he's in the presence of these, these shepherds on this quiet hillside, and the glory of heaven, the glory of God shone round about them. They were suddenly in the presence of the glory of God. And what happens when we come into the presence of the glory of God? I know there are those that say that when we see God, we're going to run up to Him and say, Hey, buddy, old pal, how you doing? So good to see you. But that's not what I read about in the Scriptures. Every time even an angel appears, everybody hits the dirt. (laughs) They were sore afraid. You know what the first message most angels have to give to people is? Fear not, because they're afraid. (laughs) They're afraid. (laughs) The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. But then the angel opened his mouth and gave them the most glorious message that they had heard since the Godhead spoke, Let there be light. Remember where we are. There There had been 400 and some odd years of silence. There had been no revelation. There had been no divinely inspired writing or prophecy since Malachi. Some 400 or 430 years earlier. The, the, the heaven, God had been silent. And suddenly on this day, in this, on this hillside, on this quiet, lowly place to these, these faithful, lowly shepherds, The silence of heaven was broken by this glorious announcement of these angels. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. What a a way to break the silence of heaven. I, I know the angels had already spoken to Joseph and to Zacharias and to Mary. But here was the public pronouncement, the public announcement of the birth of Christ. All the lines of Old Testament prophecy now converged on this forgotten stable in this forgotten town in this sleepy little village of Bethlehem. Here on this night, announced to these shepherds, the prophecies are fulfilled. 19 words that change the lives of these shepherds and indeed changes the lives of all who hear and believe them. Look at what it says. For unto you, not unto them, not unto others, not unto unto those that get good enough, not unto those who rise high enough, unto you, unto you is born this day a Savior. You know, that reminds me of what Jesus said in his public ministry in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, Jesus, that wasn't a universal call to everybody in the world because there's a lot of people that don't labor. There's many that are not heavy laden. There's so many in the world don't see themselves as a sinner. Did you know the message I'm preaching to you this morning is not for you if you don't see yourself as a sinner? This message is for sinners. It's not for those who are righteous in themselves. It's not for those who don't really think they need it. This is a message for sinners. How do you see yourself as a sinner? Paul said that the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. What's more of the Spirit of God than the message that Christ came to save sinners? The gospel is a thing that's most of the Spirit of God. He says the natural man, the one who's not been born again, but only been born in nature, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. You know, many people think what we're doing here this morning is just foolishness. Why do you get up on Christmas Eve and go down to that church and and hear that preacher talk for 30 or 45 minutes? He says, they are foolishness unto them. Neither can they know them, for they are spiritually discerned. You see, there are those that aren't laboring. There are those that... aren't heavy laden. There there was a time in my life, I'm sure there was a time in your life where you weren't laboring under the burden of sin. You didn't see yourself as a sinner in need of salvation, but oh, there came a time when you did. You know, the prodigal son, uh, even after he had been born again, he he left the, the father's house and went down into the pig pen of life. And way down there in the pig pen of life, he came to himself. He didn't get born again down there. He was already born again. He was already a child of his father. But he had gotten away. I'm sure he had thoughts like I've gone too far. I'm sure he had thoughts that there's no hope for me. But he came to himself. See, this message is unto you, child of God. It's not unto them. It's not unto some others over here. Yes, it's unto every child of God, but it's unto you if you see yourself as a sinner. Notice what it says, too. It says, Unto you is born. It didn't say appeared. This is not a theophany or a, a vision of God. He was born. He was born. Verily, we're told in Hebrews, He took not on Him the nature of angels but he took on him the seed of Abraham. See, those that teach that Jesus just kind of came down here and inhabited the body and and walked around like a man, and then, then when the cross came, he just... Poof, disappeared and went back to heaven. That, that's been taught since, since the time of Paul. They, they were called Gnostics, and they, it's been preached ever since. The idea of Gnosticism is that, well, it didn't really take the death of Christ. It took the something else. He taught us a good way to be saved, but he didn't actually save us. Now that's, the, that's the word today, is it not? That Christ's sacrifice is not enough. You have to add to it. You have to be baptized. You have to do good works. You have to exercise your will to accept it. You have to do these various things. But beloved, the sacrifice of Christ was enough. It was sufficient. That's why he said it was finished, right? <laughs> Notice it says also this day. Notice it says unto you is born this day. Now, we talked about that last Sunday, so I won't go into it too much. But understand, Galatians t- uh, chapter 4 and, and, and verse 4 says, In the fullness of the time God sent forth His Son. This wasn't just any old time. This wasn't just happenstance. There was a time when God determined to send His Son, just like there's going to be a time one day when He's going to send His Son back to get us. You know, we are we, not absolute absoluters here that believe in the absolute predestination of all things. We don't believe all things are predetermined of God, but that doesn't mean that we don't believe that some things are. And this was, this is one of those things. This is one of those things. This day, not just any day, there came a precise moment in history where God the Father said, it is time, all the prophecies have been fulfilled, and now that promise I made to Adam is ready to be kept. And Jesus Christ, His Son, stepped out of the portals of glory and descended the starry staircase of heaven and entered into our world wrapped in swaddling clothes and was laid down to sleep in a feed trough in the little forgotten stable in Bethlehem in the city of David. Isn't that something? I don't have time to go through it. I think we talked about it last week, but isn't it amazing That even in the prophecies, the place of his birth was specified. Remember, we already talked about Micah chapter 5. In verse 2, he says, But thou Bethlehem Ephratah. It wasn't just any Bethlehem. There were two or three Bethlehems in that day. But this particular one, he said, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me he that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Isn't it amazing how God is able to superintend the circumstances to fulfill every single one of his prophetic announcements? You know, he had to get, think about this. He had to, first of all, he had to get Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and get him to Canaan. Then later on, he had to get the Jews out of Babylon and back to Jerusalem. He had to protect them from being dispersed and overcome by the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. He had to keep them from destruction by the Romans. And he even had to get Joseph and Mary from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Isn't it amazing how God superintended those circumstances to fulfill his prophecies? And then notice what he says. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Notice these three titles here. Christ. Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, who would rule over Israel and all of His people. You remember back in Luke chapter 1 and verse 32, the angel tells Mary, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Go back as we did last week and look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, down about verse 13 through, six, through verses 16. And you'll read about that prophecy being given to David. Yeah, it applied to some of his descendants, but it, it was pointing him to the permanent king who would sit on his throne. That's why I believe we're living in a kingdom now. We're living in the kingdom that he said was at hand. The kingdom that has a king sitting on the throne of his father David. And then notice he says he's the Lord. He's the Lord. That's the highest of potentates. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16 says that he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no greater heights that you can rise in in any political kingdom of this world, than to be the Lord of lords, the potentate of all potentates, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And lastly, I got it out of order on purpose. Notice it says, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. It didn't say a wannabe Savior. It didn't say a Savior that's going to try hard to save. It didn't say a Savior that's going to make people savable. When the angel appeared to Joseph and explained the circumstances of Mary's conception, he said, you're going to call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins that gives me hope in fact that's the only hope i have in this life i don't know if you've examined your life lately but my life's a mess yeah i know i can put on a good front and yeah you can too but i bet you your life's a mess just like mine i struggle with temper i struggle with other sins i struggle with impatience I struggle with just not being able to do what I used to do. My body's not getting better and better. I'm getting worse and worse. Things are not getting better in this life. I struggle with that. Been sick this week. Missed all the holiday gatherings. I've been aggravated about that. Been a little down about that because I'm thinking, I don't have that many. I I have fewer ahead of me than I got behind me. I can't afford to miss one. (laughs) Things are not getting better and better, you see. But these words give me hope. Because you see, these words, they don't mean that one day we'll be able to take off and have great family gatherings. That doesn't mean that one day we'll have the privilege of fighting the shopping crowds around the holiday season. It doesn't mean that one day that we'll have a quaint story to tell our children at bedtime. These words tell us of a God who became man, And who would live a perfect life and keep the law perfectly and satisfy the judgment of a perfect God on behalf of each and every one of his children. They tell of the coming of the desire of all nations. I love that term for Jesus. Turn back to Hosea or Haggai rather and read about it sometime. You know, Haggai's prophesying in a time when they're rebuilding the temple and there were some of those old men who had seen the first temple and they got so upset because the second temple that they were rebuilding after the Babylonian captivity looked so much smaller so much more dinky than the first temple and they began to weep about it but you know what Haggai said he said the glory of this temple will be greater than the first You know why he said that? Because there will be a time, and if you keep reading in Luke chapter 2, when they take that babe Jesus into the temple, the desire of all nations, not of every man in every nation, but the desire of all kinds of people in every nation and kindred and tongue and people would come into that temple as he came into Bethlehem on this day. See, these words of hope These words of hope tell of the coming of a real Savior. A Savior who didn't come to make men savable. A Savior who didn't come and try to save anybody. But a Savior who came to save His people from their sins. As we close this morning, you know that the story doesn't stop at Bethlehem. The story culminates at Calvary. The story starts in a manger and ends on a cross. But really it doesn't end there, you see, because on that cross of Calvary, that babe in a manger died as a lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And I got good news for you this morning. That babe in the manger, that lamb of God, he saved his people from their sins. Praise God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismcool at gmail.com.